Welcome to Wise and Nice, a true crime podcast with your hosts Danny Armstrong and Kelly Lee. Please remember that we mean no disrespect to anyone mentioned in this episode or across any of the Wise and Nice platforms. We have an interest in true crime and related topics, and whilst we may offer our own personal views on certain items, it is meant to be educational and as light-hearted as possible. The information we present is collated from research gathered from the internet, and we reference and credit our sources wherever possible. If you've liked what you've heard and want to join in with us, follow us on our socials, Instagram, Wives and Knives the Pod, Twitter, at Knives Wives, and Facebook, Wives and Knives Pod. We also have a little website where we post photographs and other information about the cases that we research. And this is wivesandknives.wixsite.com forward slash my site. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Wives and Knives. How is everybody? Are we feeling festive? Are we fully embracing the run up to Christmas? Because I am. We have a tree up now. That's beautiful. It is beautiful, if not wonky and eclectic. There's nothing wrong with a bit of wonk. (laughs) So you're festive, Kelly? Yeah, I feel like we're kind of allowed now. It's officially December. Had myself some uh, breakfast with Santa yesterday. Oh, nice. So that was nice. Um, Caught up with a friend for some hot chocolate and have completed some more Christmas shopping. So yes, hashtag winning. Amazing. Um, I'm feeling pretty festive, I'm dead excited, but as you may be able to tell from this recording, I'm absolutely drowning in a cold, and I feel like my tonsils are the size of golf balls, like that kind of feeling, um, which I also do associate with the run-up to Christmas. I was going to say, tis the season. Tis the season, <laughs> I'm feeling like absolute dog shit, so... Um, yeah. All I can think is if I'm going through this now, I'll be fine by Christmas, so that's nice. Yeah, that get, just thinking of the antibodies, that's yeah, what I keep positive. saying. Yeah, I also don't feel great, but I think I sound better than you. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe tomorrow I might start sounding worse. Yeah. I can feel like the tendrils of a, of a cold are just tickling me yeah i mean i just for a disclaimer i did pre-warn kelly so how disgusted i was i was like text her this morning said like full disclosure i'm <laughs> snotty i have a sore throat i'm absolutely gross but i have done two lateral flow tests and i am covid free we're technically social distance we are social distance it's relatively well ventilated yeah we're, we're playing by the rules so yeah what you know what you're gonna do yeah no Anyway, so as this is the festive period, we're starting with a um, festive podcast, and this is a famous Christmas case. This case was and still is intensely followed by the media due to the suspicious nature and bizarre circumstances surrounding the crime and the subsequent investigation. Yeah, this is one of my all-time favourite cases, and I always cringe when I say that, but what I mean is that I find it just so fascinating. I think a lot of people are hooked on this case. So it's the case of John Bonet. So John Bonet Patricia Ramsey was a six-year-old girl from Boulder, Colorado, who was notoriously murdered in her home sometime between the night and the morning of December the 25th to the 26th in 1996. Yeah, it's a huge one. So we're going to put this one together and try and streamline it the best we can while still getting plenty of information in there. Yeah. 
So let's get cracking uh, with some background. So JonBenet Patricia Ramsey was born on August 6, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. She was the second child of Patricia Patsy Ramsey and John Bennett Ramsey. And the couple already had a son named Burke who was born on January 27, 1987. Uh, fun fact for you, John Bonet's first name is a portmanteau, uh, in it like that it uses two names to create a completely new one. So it's her father's first and middle names, and then her mother's first name was used as her middle name, which I find a bit is egotistical the right word. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah. It's like when people name their children after them. Yeah, I just find it a bit. It's like you know like junior isn't it yeah but oh yeah i just i don't know i just don't really like it um okay yeah so anyway john bennett ramsey was a successful businessman and he was the president and ceo of access graphics which is a computer software company which was quite the big deal apparently and now he had already been married and had three children a son and two daughters to then wife Lucinda Pash um, but that marriage ended in divorce in 1978 and 23 year old Patsy a beauty queen who had recently graduated with a BA honours in journalism married him in 1980 so Burke like I said was born in 87 and then John Bonet in 1990 so they're rich they're kind of like the picture perfect American family in 1991, the family moved to Boulder, Colorado, and that's because they're going to be closer to the headquarters of the company that John Ramsey works for. And things look to be going great for them, like they've got a lovely mansion, lots of friends, and everything's rosy. Until later that year, when John's daughter, who's 22 at the time, was killed in a car crash. That's horrible. Yeah. And it, it goes to show that it doesn't matter how much money you've got, bad things can happen and yeah it's more important yeah yeah exactly so it's it's not nice it's a little bit shitty um and more sort of shitty things happen in 1993 aged just 36 patsy is diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer so she's got she has lots of treatment um she's accepted onto clinical trials like but she goes through it it's pretty awful and some people suggest that this is where the pageantry comes into play. So it was something that Patsy had done when she was younger and really enjoyed, and she suggested it was something that her and John Bonet could do together as like mother and daughter. So like potentially quality time with your daughter that you know she might remember should Patsy not make it. Yeah, that's uh, I can sort of understand that. And- Stage four isn't a good place to be, so really awful time, right? I see. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, like whatever the motivation um, for it, it, it's something that they did almost every weekend. So, John Bonet and Patsy would be doing a pageant or something related to a pageant. Yeah, so Patsy entered John Bonet in lots of contests. She regularly had a photograph for modeling agencies and had her participating in various child beauty pageants in Boulder and the surrounding areas. JonBenet reached an age of about five and she was already regularly winning titles like America's Royal Miss, Little Miss Chevalier, Chalvois, 
maybe. That one. Um, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All Star Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. When she was at High Peaks Elementary School in Boulder, she would be practicing for shows, getting measured for costumes. Like, pageants became like the top priority in her life. So, I know that there is a lot of sort of over-sexualisation of children that take part in these pageants. I've watched the documentaries and from an adult perspective, I can see it. However, um, I'm not like dead against them in any which way because I would have absolutely thrived and loved that as a child. 100%. I did dancing when I was little, mm. uh, tap, ballet, modern jazz and street fucking loved it my favorite thing was like getting dolled up and dancing on stage and you want to dance to like the people you idolize which is normally uh, pop stars that are sexualized and I can see why you'd want to emulate that as a child I remember dancing to um, all sorts of songs that now when I look back even like to become one by the Spice Girls and stuff like that I look back and th- these are songs with sexual connotations but as a child I was like charging my little 20p to come and watch me in the garage perform it like, <laughs> yeah so I don't always think there's like a sinister dark side to it in any which way I think it a lot of it lies with the responsibility of the people observing it yeah absolutely I think um, I think Patsy was accused of sort of like over sexualising John Bonnet, wasn't she at times? Yeah. Um, and I know that there's been like her pageant mom in inverted commas behaviour has been widely documented in the media as well. I personally think that most parents have a bit of pageant pageant mom in them. Or like for me, it's like football dad. Yeah. You know, like parents are over the top, etc. In those situations, when the kids are involved, I don't necessarily think it means anything. No, I agree. Yeah. So let's continue to Christmas at the Ramses of that very year and what they say happened. So Christmas is quite the big deal to the Ramses. Like we're talking lots of matching jumpers, lots of entertaining parties and events in the lead up like to Christmas as well. So on Christmas Day morning, uh, the family open up presents together at home. Um, John Bonet gets a bike, other family members visit. I did read that John's son from his first marriage spent the day there, but I've also heard that he didn't and he was on his way with his sister so you know it depends which version you you listen to I guess um but yeah the family have like a small Christmas lunch together and then later Patsy John Burke and John Bonet they go up to their like very close family friends um house Fleet and Priscilla White (laughs) for a party there are so many names in this like I mean can we just like Burke yeah Burke Ramsey I don't know if Burke has the same like meaning con- yeah, yeah like uh, in England you wouldn't it call it means you're like an idiot yeah you wouldn't call your child Burke would you no you just wouldn't anyway so yeah so they head over to um, Fleet and Priscilla White's house for a party and the family they stay there until quite late um, returning home just before 10pm 
So the children are tired and John Bonet is already asleep and John carries her inside and her parents put her and Burke straight to bed with them following not long after. Uh, a little after 5.30am on Boxing Day. Very early. Very early. Um, Patsy Ramsey gets up to make coffee and it's as she makes her way down the back staircase she finds a two-page note stating that John Bonet has been kidnapped. Now, I'm not going to read the note because it's quite lengthy, but I will put it in the sources for you. But to summarise, the note is addressed to John Ramsey and it claims to be from a small foreign faction, SBTC, and they're demanding a ransom of $118,000 in cash. They advise John not to contact the police or the FBI and that he will be contacted the next morning with further instructions. So next... Patsy frantically searches for John Bonet and she wakes John in the process and she's checking rooms but there's no sign of the little girl and despite being advised not to her next step is to ring the police so the 911 call is readily like readily available to listen to online and I advise that you do um so with the police alerted Patsy then calls her close friends the whites Then she phones other friends and family members to make them aware of the situation. And the police and those friends and family descend on the house en masse. Yeah, the police and their handling of the scene is something that comes under loads of scrutiny as part of this case. Because so many mistakes were made, it really seems like it was just a free-for-all on the scene. Uh, When the police entered the house... They did like a cursory search, but after failing to find any sign of a break-in, struggle, forced entry, they only actually checked John Bonet's bedroom as a scene of crime. The rest of the house was accessible and open to the rest of the family and their friends. And they were just coming and going, contaminating the scene. Other missteps that basically made any potential DNA evidence completely unusable. John and Patsy were not separated, and Patsy and her friends were cleaning up the kitchen, so just do a nice cursory wipe round. Due to the Christmas period, the Boulder police were super short-staffed. There were fewer of them available to take in statements and manage the scene. And a high-profile kidnapping wasn't a common occurrence either, so I don't think they were particularly prepared for it. I've heard that there was also a big meeting set up with the FBI um, for the day also. Yeah, the same day. Yeah, I feel like the same day. So the police actually just left the scene and left rookie detective Linda Ardent at the scene alone with the family and friends. Yeah, and I like to be fair to Linda, I think she did do like her best to be fair. Like from everything that I've read and seen, she had limited experience and especially when it came to like this kind of situation. Oh yeah. Um I assume that as much training as they can give when you're in a situation that's this this big and this um has this much scrutiny from the media yeah you're never going to be really prepared until you've done it do you know what i mean no so at 1 p.m detective linda arden suggested that john ramsey and his friend fleet white search through the house to see if they could spot anything that seemed amiss so i think this um, alludes to the scale of the house as well yeah <laughs> if you were going to check through my house you'd be done in like I think she. I think she was trying to keep them busy as well. Like how you know she didn't know 
exactly what to do. Yeah. You know, like probably she should have kept them separated, you know, not let people wander around and contain the scene, but she didn't have a lot of experience. I think she was just trying to keep all those people, like, busy and accounted for, if that yeah. makes sense. and to be fair, there's um, situations where someone who's familiar with the house would know something was amiss that the police wouldn't particularly mm. as well. So I get it. So as part of the search, John and Fleet head down to the basement and this area is generally used for like storage it has a wine cellar and it's when they're looking through the basement that the two men discovered the body of John Bonet. John Bonet was bound by her wrists and ankles with a nylon cord had duct tape over her mouth and was covered in a white blanket there was a garrote made from the nylon cord and broken paintbrush handle lying nearby a clearly devastated John Ramsey immediately picked her up and carried her upstairs, placing her on the floor in front of a gathered group. Once again, trying to take control of the situation, Detective Linda moved her into the living room. So, this is just the, the body of this young girl being moved around the house. That's unimaginable. And from someone that reads a lot of true crime, I'm screaming, like, don't move the body. So the police are dealing with a murder now and finally take control of the scene and the situation. An autopsy is performed and shows that John Bonet had been killed by strangulation, likely with the nylon cord that was wrapped around her neck, and also a skull fracture. Her vaginal area showed some signs of trauma and it had been cleaned. There was no seminal... You say seminal, don't you? Yeah. I was going to say seminal. <laughs> um, seminal fluid found on her body. There was um, some sort of undigested fruit thought to potentially be pineapple in her stomach that had been consumed just a few hours before she died. Yeah, so there's so much to cover. And for me, I feel like it's either in or out of the house, if that makes sense, like with this case in terms of suspects. So should we start start by covering inside the house? So the Ramses themselves like weren't initially suspects. However, that quickly changed when the police looked at things closer. So let's start with the ransom note. Now it's a massive point of suspicion for lots of people for many reasons. Firstly, it mentioned a very specific amount of money. So $118,000, like it's an odd figure in itself, you know, for a, a ransom, yeah. Um, however, sorry, I just said specific, like the ocean. It really annoys me when people do that. It annoys me when people do that, unless they're doing it like um, jokingly, um, like from Kath and Kim. No, just me. Anyway, yeah. So it's a very specific amount of money. It's an odd figure, um, but it was also the exact amount that John had received, like for his Christmas bonus. So that's so, a huge figure. To yeah, for your Christmas bonus. That's what I mean. That big is deal. Years and years and years and years of my work to get that much money. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like they're really, um, they're a really well-off family. Yeah. That's just the Christmas bonus. Okay, but the suspicion level, you know, gets amped up again when it's actually proven that the ransom note was written inside the Ramsey's house. So, and a practice ransom note was found in the house as well. And it was written on paper that came from one of, like, Patsy's notepads. That's so, like, suspicious. It's so dodgy. 
Um, several handwriting analyst experts um, have said that it was very probable that a woman, likely Patsy herself, wrote the letter. However, Patsy did pass all of the handwriting tests that the police carried out. And I say that she passed them, but I do want to point out that it is said that she barely passed them. So, like, if their baseline for this test is five, she's caught, like scoring around like four point seven, four point eight right. on several of the letters within the ransom note. Now, had Patsy, well, did Patsy write the letter? I guess is the ultimate question. And if she did, like, why did she write it? Was it to divert attention from herself? And if so, why would she need to do that? So one theory is that Patsy actually killed John Bonet accidentally. She was said to be an extremely strict mother, and John Bonet was a frequent bedwetter. Like, so it was a nightly occurrence. Did Patsy become like enraged enough whilst reprimanding her, reprimanding her child, and like hit her too hard? Did John Bonet fall and like strike her head? And what was the relationship between the parents and their daughter? Like, was it a healthy one? Could the bedwetting be a sign of trauma and abuse in John Bonet? Now, there does continue to be speculation that John Bonet had been sexually abused or assaulted like during her life as well as during her murder. So when she was around three years old, she was actually taken to the doctor for vaginal irritation. Um, but her parents and the doctor both agreed that it was likely an allergic reaction to something like to bubble bath. I was allergic to bubble bath when I was little. I was going to exactly. say. Um, yeah. But luckily I've grown out of it and now I can use bath bombs. Awesome. Yeah, I think like as like I'm the mum of a child similar age and yes, similar to that there's been a few occasions when i've thought oh crikey definitely can't use that product again not been recorded but i feel like that's not a clear indication <laughs> no not at all I, I think that's like a, you know i wanted to put it in there but i don't yeah, think it backs it is up all over the internet yeah. that's like such a strong theory that yeah. people stand by but i'm yet to find little evidence towards that agreed agreed now, obviously, that was strongly denied by the parents, but, like, Patsy and John don't really do themselves any favours, I don't think, in amongst all of this, like, in the investigation and sort of, like, responding to accusations like that. They're not particularly forthcoming with information, and they did initially refuse, like, to be interviewed at all and specifically separately. Um, they the Ramses actually said that their sort of reluctance to that like to to do these interviews was because they thought that potentially it would sort of like detract from an intruder theory and that the police would maybe become too focused on them as key suspects uh, in the case but I genuinely feel like it came off like they had something to hide yeah, if they were hoping um, by refusing interview that the police would go like, all right, let's focus on a different theory. It doesn't fucking work. No, like exactly. Um, but like, like I just previously said, I don't think there seems to be a huge amount of backed up um, evidence to do with the abuse theory. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened. Of course, it could, but 
Yeah, I, I'm, I sort of, I'm the same. I don't necessarily get behind the sexual abuse by parents theory. I do think that Patsy was strict, but I don't think she was necessarily like abusive in in a sexual way. Yeah. I think she probably hit them when they misbehaved, or perhaps they didn't perform well. I think that that I believe that. Yeah, that seems more plausible. Yeah. So it's interesting because in 1999 there was actually an, an indictment against the Ramses with two counts of child neglect that resulted in the death of John Bonet, but there's no specification of abuse. However, District Attorney Alex Hunter actually refused to sign off on the documents, stating lack of evidence. So they were never like indicted or prosecuted for neglect or abuse. So if it's not Patsy or John, was Patsy trying to cover for somebody else? Now, it's probably a good time to talk about the 911 call that I mentioned earlier, and if you can give it a listen, please do, because it is very interesting. Now, at the end of the call, um, Patsy like thought that she'd hung up the phone, but it was actually still on the line um, to the 911 operator, and voices are audible. Some people speculate that they can actually hear Patsy saying, help me, Jesus, or what did you do? And a man, likely John Ramsey, saying, we're not speaking to you. And it's also further suggested that Burke is there, like with his parents, and he actually asks them, what did you find? So why wouldn't Patsy and John be talking to Burke? What did he do? Now, Burke was known to not always be the nicest of brothers uh, and perhaps it sort of went beyond the usual sibling spats. So housekeepers reported that he actually shat in John Bonet's bed. I find this so weird. I so mm, weird. And I've also got um, that he rubbed his feces on her Christmas presents and John Bonet's bedroom walls. So... Burke has also, you know, there's people who have testified that Burke was known to have what they've been labelled as like excessive temper tantrums and that, <laughs> bless you, and that John Bonet had been hurt by him in the past. Like, had he lashed out at his sister, you know, and if so, why? You're right there. I did, um, I did hear something in, I think it's in an interview with John and uh, a police officer asked him about Burke and John Bonet's relationship and John starts talking about a time when Burke hit her with a golf club and it's like the way John, he just explains it away, like, oh, she just walked in front of it and we don't really know what happened. Maybe she just got in the way. So, yeah, I mean, that is that normal childhood behaviour? Not necessarily, but is it, some, is it an accident that could easily happen between two siblings? Yeah, I could believe that. Yeah, I think that is, but I yeah. think she's taking your sister's bed and wiping your pay one her presents isn't an accident. No, I don't think that's normal inverted commas behaviour, but I don't think that there's any specific recordings of Burke physically hurting John Bonet. So what I'm saying is, was that happening? And is John just 
explaining it away right, yeah. or was it just like a normal you know like kids do hit their brothers yeah. and sisters and sometimes sure I bet siblings by accident break their siblings arms but oh, yeah. is, if it's happening with regularity then for me that would be a bit of a red flag yeah so yeah as I said had had Burke lashed out at his sister and if so what could be the motive behind that so John Bonet was apparently asleep on her return from the party and she'd been placed in her bed by her parents so how had she then come to have undigested fruit in her stomach a popular theory is that she'd actually woken up and gone downstairs to find like find Burke eating some pineapple in the kitchen and she'd helped herself to the snack like Burke had then reacted angrily and struck his sister knocking her unconscious now, in photographs taken of the Ramsey household, there was a bowl of pineapple with a spoon on the kitchen table. The bowl and the spoon were covered in only Burke's fingerprints. And both John and Patsy say that they had no memory of putting pineapple out for either of their children. They also adamantly maintained throughout that Burke had been asleep the entire night and had only woken up several hours after they called the police to report John Bonet missing. I don't um, believe that. Well, <laughs> there we go. There you go. I, I don't believe that a child would sleep through the commotion that would have ensued. Well, I agree. Um, but Burke Ramsey, when questioned by the police about what happened to John Bonet, maintained both as a child and to this day the exact same as his parents. Like he only woke up afterwards. Again, I, I'm I'm kind of inclined to believe in you. I don't believe that he would have slept through any of that. I think he was more likely would have been either already awake or awake, like awoken when Patsy was running, allegedly checking for John Bonet. Yeah. So, did Burke hurt his sister? And then, did his parents like work together to stage the kidnapping murder scene to keep their son out of trouble? And have they all managed to maintain the story for all this time? There are lots of theories, and Burke himself isn't the greatest when it comes to public appearances. Like, he smiles a lot at the wrong time, and he often comes across as if he's, like, very practised in what he's got to say, possibly, like, reciting from a script almost. Have you seen the Dr. Phil interview with Burke? Yeah. Now, there are entire reddit threads dedicated to whether burke is potentially on the spectrum with how he behaves um it certainly doesn't mean he's guilty but i do mainly fall on the inside of the house in terms of theories yeah um and i have a statement here that i think sums it up quite well so former boulder police chief mark becker said in a statement that from evidence, John Bonet was hit in the head very hard with an unknown object, possibly a flashlight or a similar item. The blow knocked her into deep unconsciousness, which would have led someone to believe that she was dead. The strangulation came 45 minutes up to two hours after the head strike. So like based on the swelling of the, on her brain. Now, while the head wound would have eventually killed her, the strangulation actually killed her. 
the rest of the scene we believe was staged including the vaginal trauma to make it look like a kidnapping assault gone bad i have avoided saying who i believe is responsible and let the facts speak for themselves there are several viable theories so danny what are your thoughts on the perpetrator coming from inside the property like you i lean towards them coming from the inside more than the outside because why would somebody break and enter but not take the child why would they choose to write a ransom note inside the house practice and use a note like you'd go prepared wouldn't you yeah absolutely um the discrepancies in sort of the times of the injuries completely don't make sense for it to be an outsider if you're going to break into a house on christmas day with a family sleeping upstairs you are going to be quick about it absolutely also what's the motive if you're not going to take the child then the ransom note doesn't make sense anyway because the child's not gone and they don't take anything else i yeah i strongly lean towards the inside the house theory yeah well let's focus on getting to the outside the house theories then um but before we do it is worth noting that in 1996 there were 38 registered sex offenders living within a 1.8 mile radius of the ramses home that's bad because um just assuming that with the amount of wealth that this family had amassed i suggest it was a very nice area yeah you'd think so wouldn't you also that's a really good point what bothers me a little bit is the lack of security in the house for the affluent area and for the amount of money that family will was bringing in apparently one of the doors was left unlocked so yeah no security systems no you know okay it was like mid 90s so it wasn't common to have big you know all singing all dancing security systems on your house but like i would imagine a basic level not leaving your door open of an evening or is it such an affluent area that they are unaware of um, there've been a lot of break-ins in the area so that to me that yeah you don't leave your door open i think that's standard you've got kids in the house but then you've just come back from the Christmas party. Have you, you know, have you forgotten to lock up? It's just a bit, it's a bit off, yeah. So, two suspects were outside the house. In 1997, Lou Schmidt, a retired detective, came back to work to assist the district attorney's office with the case. He strongly supported the theory that an intruder had gained access to the house via a broken window in the basement and he showed how this could be done. He drew attention to the suitcase possibly used to boost someone back up and out. So it is only a small window. I've seen this um, on many documentaries. However, it didn't seem likely to be an actual feasible point of entry for the break-in. The window remained quite dirty and like I said, it's a small window, so an intruder would have likely wiped most of the sort of debris away while sliding through the window. And it wasn't actually found to be open at the time of the investigation, although some reports vary on this. And there was a spider's web in the corner, which was completely undisturbed. 
It is, however, reported that there were two sets of unidentifiable footprints, one leaving an imprint um, with like a brand of shoe and a palm print on the cellar door of the basement where John Bonet's body were found. And these prints didn't match anyone inside the house and the, the shoe didn't match the footprint of any that were inside the house. Lee Smith was stated that one of the main suspects is Gary Olivier. He was a registered sex offender and was found with a photo of Jean Bonnet in his backpack when he was arrested on drugs, drugs charges in 2000. He said that the photograph, and I quote, I feel she was an exceptional girl whose death was an exceptional loss. I felt the need to build a monument and a shrine to remember this little girl. Creepy. Really creepy. Really. It creepy. sounds more like a... What's the word? Like a an item, an item to remember the crime. Like a trophy. Yeah, a trophy. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was looking for. Michael Vale, a friend of Oliver's, came forward to In Touch magazine with the information that just a day after the 1996 murder, Oliver called him in distress, saying, I hurt a little girl, I hurt a little girl. However, the DNA evidence was not a match for Oliver's. Then we go on to a second suspect, and he is known as Santa Bill. Santa Bill is actually called Bill McReynolds and was a friend of the Ramseys who had dressed up as Santa Claus the week before John Bonet's murder to entertain the neighbourhood children at one of Patsy's famous Christmas gatherings. Like you mentioned, Christmas was a big deal for them and sort of their community. And I'm imagining, um, you know, the houses on like Christmas makeover when they've got like all baubles around the door and the staircase has like pom-poms going up and stuff like that that's what I'm imagining but um yeah he'd dress up as Santa and so I assume quite a well-liked member of the community but it was rumoured that Mick Reynolds was paying a little too much attention to Jean Bonnet going as far to arrange like a secret visit from Santa Claus around Christmas as well supposedly he had chosen Jean Bonnet to be his special friend and she had gifted him like a little vial of glitter and said it was like him, like I'd forgotten the term they use, but like magic dust or something. And he was really taken with this. He wanted his wife, um, Janet, I believe she was called, to mix the gold glitter with his ashes if he were to die. So I've got a quote from him. It was Stardust, he calls it. And this is him talking about his operation. They took the Stardust too. The Stardust was all I took with me for good luck when I had heart surgery last summer. The murder was harder on me than the operation. She made a profound change in me. I felt close to that little girl. I don't really have another child that I have this special relationship with. Not even my own children or my own grandchildren. When I die, I'm going to be cremated and I've asked my wife to mix the stardust JonBenet gave me with the ashes. We're going to go up behind the cabin and have it blown away in the wind. Um, it's not right, is it? Like, 
this is, to me that is just I don't I don't know I, I'm like really massively on the fence like if I when I read about him I think oh he sounds perfect like he sounds the perfect suspect but I'm not convinced I genuinely think he I think there's a few very odd things with it aside from the stardust like I, I know that he had been in the house John Bonet had taken him up and showed him her bedroom yeah so he would have been familiar with the house and stuff yeah he was well familiar with that house I like to think that he's just one of those nice old men but sometimes gets like tarred with the wrong brush yes if John Bonet hadn't been killed I don't like I don't think anyone would have an issue with his behaviour no it's all in hindsight yeah but the story about the stardust like made the papers worldwide media and like we've discussed my opinion is that he's creepy as fuck others would say it's like character assassination of a friendly old man however him being creepy as fuck doesn't make him a murderer like i i'm not in no way saying i think he's like suspect number one i just think he's it's a very strange yeah addition to the story so obviously he denied any involvement in John Bonet's murder and um, his wife Janet said that the couple felt sensitive to the horror due to what had happened to their own child because on December the 26th in 1974 the couple's nine-year-old daughter was actually kidnapped along with a friend and witnessed sexual abuse of her friend during the the traumatic event and no one was ever arrested for this crime it's just just interesting and yeah according to cnn the original prosecutor on the ramsey case claimed that bill had given john Bonet a card with a message saying you will receive a special gift after christmas so bill and janet like obviously completely denied everything and they submitted her handwriting blood samples and have actually been cleared of any involvement in the case but he's still brought up as a suspect time and time Mm. again and i can see why yeah like totally but yeah he has been cleared and he actually died in i think 2002 that's right yeah yeah there was something else wasn't did his wife write yes his wife wrote a script and it was about a little girl being abducted sexually assaulted in her own home and found in the basement and it's just been chalked up to a coincidence but again it's another weird thing with him Mm. I feel like that that that's something that probably the the um the Ramses would have been aware of though Oh, yeah, I could have been, definitely. I remember there's a scene, I think, where in one of the documentaries where Bill turns up at... The, the Ramses are doing, a, like, a media interview and he turns up in the crowd and he's like, they've kind of adopted me as part of the family and I just wanted to be here to show my support and everything. I was very close to John Bonet. And it's like, it's that level, that's a bit odd. But I yeah. just get very much like he's just an odd guy. Like some people are odd, and people's perceptions of odd is hugely different. Like, yeah, I realise that I'm I see some things as odd that aren't odd. 
Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Mm. Like, um, people who are super, super close to, like, brothers and sisters, I'm an only child. Like, I don't get how you can feel like a bond with somebody no matter what they do. Mm. You know, when people are like, blood is thicker than water and stuff, like, I don't get it. Like, I just don't get it. Um, but then some people would say I'm quite cold. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think in people's perceptions, it's, I was having this conversation, a similar conversation with one of my friends, um, who finds it weird when people say, like, oh, I love you, as, like, friends. Ah, okay. She finds that a bit weird. Um, not in all circumstances, but yeah. I get it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know this is a bit of a tangent, but, like, what I mean is what one person thinks is sort of overstepping the line isn't always what another person yeah. thinks is. Yeah, but then when someone's... Unfortunately, when someone is horrifically murdered, it just makes those little oddities maybe not not as um, pure as you used to oh, be yeah, like, so you're like oh it's a little bit odd but then is it a little I'm bit odd I'm just playing devil's advocate like I think yeah. he's creepy as fuck but I do too but I don't think he's a murderer no I don't so in 2003 investigators found DNA evidence from a droplet of blood that was found in slash on John Bonnet's underwear the DNA was from an unknown male and not related to the Ramses. While the DNA was put into an FBI database, so far it has led to no new leads and no new developments. What do you think about that? I think the DNA is extremely questionable, to be quite honest. I, I, I think I'll mention it more in a bit, but yeah, I, I don't... It's a minuscule amount, absolutely yeah. minuscule. I think it's um, disproven it could be anything. It could have come from manufacturers. Yes trace dna that's you know i don't think it's as um important as we think sadly well i'm going to speak about another suspect now so this is alexis valoran also previously known as john mark carr and as daxis because this person goes by quite a few few different names i'm gonna call them alexis for this just to sort of keep the thread going. So Alexis Valoran Wright was born on December the 11th, 1964, and is an American trans woman who used to be known as John. And whilst living as John in 2006, falsely confessed to the murder of John Bonet Ramsey. So she used to be a school teacher and she confess to this crime but in 2010 she went through hormone therapy and has now transitioned and since lives as a woman so in 2006 she confessed out of the blue to the 1996 strangulation of John Bonet and she gave like really graphic sexual detail about this and she was subsequently arrested in Thailand where she'd been living after facing child pornography charges in the US. 
So this all came out because Alexis initially brought herself to the media spotlight by reaching out to the University of Colorado Boulder professor named Michael Tracy over email. So he was making a documentary on the case and Alexis just sent him an email and admitted to all of this and gave so much graphic detail that Tracy reported Alexis to the police and the police went to Bangkok to arrest her. So she was immediately flown to Boulder for questioning, but was ultimately cleared after there was no DNA match found. And that really was it. Mm. So Alexis's admission of involvement became like international headlines and she was pretty persistent on saying that she had killed John Bonet. However, it has ultimately been dismissed and written off as just a paedophile who was after notoriety and fame. And officials couldn't even verify that she was ever in Boulder to commit this crime. So she does seem like one of those incomprehensible people that just want the their perceived fame for committing such an atrocity yeah it's a really weird one because they had like a lot like you said a lot of information about the crime they had a lot of personal information about patsy as well things that couldn't have been known like um childhood nicknames and things like that know that weren't out there it seemed to be a lot of inside information but what gets me most is that the district attorney at the time seemed to really like them for um for the suspect and seemed to again disregard family or other suspects in favor of somebody who couldn't possibly have been there at the time yeah really odd there's another suspect isn't there as well a man named Michael Helgoth. Yeah. So Michael Helgoth worked near the Ramsey's home and allegedly told a friend on the night of the murder that he would be making between $50,000 and $80,000 that night. Helgoth had a history of sexual abuse and violence, but two days after the DA announced they had been narrowed down the list of suspects, Helgoth actually committed suicide. Hmm that's really strange as well i think that friend also um says that they had a pair of high-tech shoes that match the prints there's, found. there's pictures of them in in the apartment and stuff and it's like it's not that this case has no sort of good suspects it almost has too many yeah it does absolutely now, personally, I don't think that Santa Bill had anything to do with it, that actual cry, and I don't think Alexis did either. I think people do become obsessed with cases, crimes, people getting notoriety, getting fame, mm-hmm. and we've seen it before, but like you said, very, very odd. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of agree. I feel like I, I'm open to the possibility of the intruder theory, but it just doesn't fit for me right somehow. But then again, neither does 
inside the house either. No, there's not too, too nothing many suspects. Nothing fits perfectly. That's the problem here. Um, sadly, in 2006, at the age of 49, Patsy Ramsey died of ovarian cancer, and she was buried. Uh, sorry, she was buried uh, next to John Bonet at the local cemetery in Marietta. Um, John Ramsey remarried in 2011 so everyone's moving on um there's been quite a lot of documentaries i'll say quite a lot there's been an excessive amount of documentaries made about john bonnet there's loads of resources that you can sort of devour podcasts articles etc but there is one documentary that i watched and it was made in 2016 it's called the case of john bonnet ramsey um i think it's a three-parter but there's some interesting um, things raised from that documentary and one in particular is about the DNA that we were just discussing yeah. so DNA specialist Dr Henry Lee he actually revisited the DNA found on John Bonnet's underwear and he concluded that it was highly possible that the DNA found was transfer DNA I think, like I said, from the manufacturer. And he actually proved this by testing an unopened bag of underwear that ended I up... I see this Yeah. distinctly remember that. It ended up sort of also containing trace DNA. So this meant that the DNA that they've been testing, or the evidence, effectively, is inconclusive. The DNA that ruled Alexis while around Pretty out. much the DNA that ruled everybody else out. Um, any of the prior suspects could in fact be John Bonnet's killer despite previously being ruled out because they weren't a DNA match so um, Colorado authorities uh, of this, in the same year in 2016 they actually revealed that they would be you know, using new DNA technology on the evidence in the John Bonnet Ramsey case but they have cautioned you know it's unlikely to reveal anything new um enough to make a strong watertight case um a quote i've got here is that any new results would only be significant if they could actually be matched with other evidence that the authorities have yes so i guess that's it really um I would love to know what people think. Like I said before, I can get behind both the intruder and the family cover-up of an accidental death, but neither of them fit quite right. The thing for me, the thing that gets me every single time in this case, is the ransom note. Yeah, what I said before. Well, yeah, no one writes a ransom note when they're at the scene. You take it with you. Like, I don't know any case where anybody has ever written a ransom note in, you know, like the planned. You don't just turn up and think, oh, do you know what? I'll just bob a little note to them also just to remind them. With the family sleeping upstairs. It's too risky. There's every chance as well. Like, we're only really saying that if it was an intruder, it was a singular person. You wouldn't be sticking around because you'd be outnumbered. The thing for me like regardless of what's said in the ransom note um anything else if there was no ransom note then everything else would plausibly fit into an intruder narrative if, they, if there was no ransom note you would automatically you, your kid would be missing mm. you would get up and call the authorities 
because your kid's missing you would search the house okay you might not go into specific rooms like that's what happened with the police they didn't go into the basement they saw that it was it was potentially locked from the outside so there was no way in there was but they were like oh there's no point checking in there because they were looking for exit yeah for like for how an intruder would leave does that make sense so for me if whoever wrote the ransom note because clearly no one claimed it no one phoned about it or anything else it was it never played out if you hadn't have written the ransom note you would be more likely to to be believed that an intruder had come in and had either attacked your child it was a burglary gone wrong it would be more believable to me if there was no ransom note so why write a ransom note yeah that's to me that's the key to the head to the whole case no ransom note then you wouldn't have this problem um Patsy also says, just as another point, that John Bonet was wearing different clothes than those that she had been at the party. And that's another thing that bugs me. So, like the ones that she, they carry her in from the car. She's in the outfit that she was at the party in. They put her straight to bed, right? Which, fine, try and get a kid, a six year old, undressed without waking them up it's easier just to put them in bed fully dressed and deal with it in the morning i i think um i do think that john bonnet wet the bed i think that's that's what started it i think she can dress herself she's six and she she can probably strip a sheet too because like this happens every single night so i would imagine that she might not be getting up and going to a mum who's probably going to be a bit annoyed with her I think she probably gets up and gets changed. I do think she goes downstairs. And then I think something terrible happens. And for legal reasons, I don't want to say exactly what, but I think I've implied what I think happens. I think everything happened in the house. And I kind of agree with the um, detective statement. What bugs me, though, about that is that John Bonet wasn't dead. Yeah somebody's made a decision to end it now to finish her and sexually assault her possibly possibly or make it look like she was to then create another narrative that is what they think is going to be believable that's what bothers me if there was an accident whoever was responsible why not ring an ambulance would it be more believable to say my kid's got a head injury because she's just fallen down the stairs yeah to me that's rich people trying to protect themselves and i do think that all of this has been white privilege in a way i do think that the authorities have helped maybe not like initially i don't think the police went in there and thought oh quick we need to tidy this up you know, no, it does I reek think of like people in high places. Connections, you just watch money. some of the interviews with Patsy and John, and they're just like, "No, we're not doing that. We're not going down that road. It's not happening." Next question. It's like, "Excuse me, Miss, but you are here because your daughter's dead. You know, like she's been killed. She's been kidnapped. Choose your theory. You should be. You know, you should be." 
wanting to answer as many questions as possible it just makes no sense to me Patsy Ramsey as well why are you ringing the police 20 minutes after you found your daughter uh, sorry you found you the realised she's missing yeah why are you ringing the police John has the money John's happy to apparently by all accounts the police say that John is happy to arrange the ransom let's get this ransom paid that's the the vibe that he's giving off why then are you ringing the police and your friends and family to come round that just makes it doesn't it doesn't strike me as normal behavior yeah for that type of situation if i get a ransom note and it says don't ring the police i'm unlikely to ring the police for a while because i'd be thinking what can i do how do i manage this i wouldn't be ringing like i probably wouldn't ring you and be like oh by the way my kid's been kidnapped what do i do i would ring the police eventually but it would take me a while i don't think it would be my go-to if i've been advised not to do it in terms of it like i will kill your daughter if you do that wouldn't be my first go-to to pick up the phone and ring my mate it was her party at last night yeah the phone and the friends i think it's odd it's the phone in the police i don't think is is as odd but i find the time frame weird because what i think i'd do is phone the police straight away but then to wait a little bit and phone them it's 20 minutes it's from what time she says that she got up to when she calls the police that would mean that she effectively does what you say she runs around the house and then she rings the police i think it's quick personally i think it's slow do you yeah big house 20 minutes well you you know that's why i don't believe that burke was still asleep because i think she oh yeah he would because i did read actually in something else i read that he remembers um patsy running in looking for something and that, and then he says, which I now realise is John Bonet. And like, so you weren't asleep. Then. Yeah. There's too many contradictions. Yeah. What very good family and friends to come round. Odd. Very odd. I feel like it was getting them there to witness the witness, drama. Yeah. yeah. Witness the discovery almost. Mm. I agree with that definitely. Um. Yeah, it's, I don't think it is um, a case that we'll ever find out the answers for, I'm afraid. Mm. I think we already have the answers, we just don't have enough evidence to um, prosecute. And, and there's also, too many like loose threads, yeah. there's too many other options. Yeah, I don't think anything can be conclusively proven, so that is, like you say, so it will never... It will never be fully solved. I guess it's up to you just to make up your own mind. It is a case that a lot of people have very strong opinions on there. So it's a really um, good one to discuss. Absolutely. And again, like we said, there's so many um, things to watch, read and listen to. Uh, I'd highly recommend um, you do so because it will take you down one heck of a rabbit hole. Yeah, there's a good documentary on Netflix as well. Oh, there is, yeah. Also, there's quite a few on um, Amazon. 
but I think they're on a, like a discovery subscription. Yeah. But I think you can get like a week's free trial if you if you so wish to devour a few John Bonet ones. Yeah. So, yeah. So there we go. Um, we'll be back next week with another case. We will. So yeah, I hope you're all feeling festive. And if you have any stronger theories on John Bonet, do let us know. Yeah. Until then, uh, keep safe and well, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.